Thank you. Good morning, everybody. Really nice to see you. Thanks, Leon. That was nice of you to say those nice things. I, I do feel incredibly old these days. Um, I'm, uh, I used to travel 120,000 miles a year, which is why I look like I do. I'm only 28, but all that... Uh, traveling has messed me up but it really is a joy to be with you this morning and I know guest speakers always say that don't they they're always ecstatic to be wherever they are it's what you say really you can't get up and go I hate being here don't like you know don't like you um, but it really is a joy genuinely to uh, to be here I look around here and I see faces whose names I in many cases I don't know I know some of you um, but coming here over the years uh, just feeling a sense of connection here, and it's just uh, really good to, to be with you. Uh, Leon very kindly mentioned that I write books, and um, we, by, by way of a surprise, we have some with us um, today. It would be crass and rude and inappropriate of me to overstate the value of my books. That would be wrong, so let me just say that it's God's will that you buy them. Um, just kidding. But there's a, a number out there. There are no ordinary people. Uh, the story of Barnabas, the, uh, uh, the Lego movie got it wrong. Everything isn't awesome, ladies and gentlemen. Everything isn't awesome, but we can live the ordinary life beautifully. And uh, that's what this book is about. Bear Grylls has done a commendation. Some people say, how do you know Bear Grylls? Well, um, I don't like to say much about this, but I am his personal physical trainer. <laughs> why did you laugh then? <laughs> I know why you laughed then. Anyway, I've never met the bloke, but he said nice things about the book. Um, just thought I'd tell you that. Uh, this book, I need to give a bit of a health warning. Again, for leaders, uh, there are no strong people. This is a book on Samson. Now, as you know, Samson was a bit of a naughty boy. So there's quite a lot of blunt talk in here about <laughs> who's going to be first at the book table then so uh yeah quite a lot of blunt talking here about sex so if you're offended by that and you know some christians like to be offended have you met them you know they they go to church to get offended in fact they, they've been offended since birth they they got upset with the midwife don't you slap me you know they're like that so if um you like to be offended by the book, but don't send me an email about it. Uh, so that's pretty blunt stuff. What else have we got here? Um, years ago, John Ortberg wrote a brilliant book called If You Want to Walk on Water, You've Got to Get Out of the Boat. It's a fantastic book. Um, I've just a few months ago bought this book out. It's called If You Want to Walk on Water, Consider Staying in the Boat, which is not in any way a rebuttal of John's brilliant book. But, but Peter got out of the boat, but the other boys didn't. Um, we forget that. More about that a little later. So that's there. And then finally, Prodigal Friendly Church. There's other books out there as well, Creating a Prodigal Friendly Church. And if you buy it, I get author's discounts, so that means you do as well. So if you buy any three books, they're like 25 quid, and we'll give you this book, Hideous Cover, um, Lucas on Life, uh, Short, Make You Laugh, Make You Cry, Make You Think, Stuff, and we take cash, credit cards, checks, chickens, anything. So... <laughs> Those are available. Now, before I get on with this, just take 15 seconds to turn around to the people at your table because you're going to be confessing sin to them shortly. <laughs> so just say hello to anybody that you've been avoiding. Just say hello. You know, you're right. Well, that was brief, wasn't it? How many of you just met someone really interesting, good looking? <laughs> How many of you, frankly, did not? How many of you never raise your hand, whatever the question is, from the platform? I <laughs> know, oh, there's healing in the house, amazing. It's a feeling that I get every Christmas when um, those Christmas newsletters arrive from fellow Christians. You know what I'm talking about. You get the Christmas newsletter and you hear the ecstatic stories of their gorgeous family. Little Jimmy, he's just fluent in Hebrew and Greek and plays 74 musical instruments and is serving potentially on a mission field in Burma. And he's only three, isn't he? You know, and you read the Christmas newsletter and you try to be happy for them, but inwardly you just hate them. You just hate them. 
because you feel different from that. Happened to me, I walked into a restaurant in Fort Collins in Colorado. I'm teaching pastor at Timberline Church and uh, it's a fairly large church in a fairly small city. It doesn't matter how many people go. I always get a bit irritated when people bang on about how many people there are in their churches. And it depends how you count anyway and all of that. And so anyway, there's a lot of people come to the church. And that means that anywhere Kay and I, by the way, that's Kay, my wife over there. Leon kindly introduced her. Uh, she looks quite young <laughs> and is often mistaken for my daughter, which really cheers me up especially when she doesn't deny that she's not. <laughs> anyway, we're, we're, um, what it means is anywhere that Kay and I go in Fort Collins, you know, one in every 14 people in the city comes to the church. So every, there's Christians everywhere. You can't go anywhere and sin. It's really irritating. <laughs> just kidding. I'm just making sure you're there. Somebody went, Ooh. Anyway, I, I walk into this restaurant, I'm meeting Kay for lunch, it's Sunday, and um, this table of ten waved at me, and I thought, oh, Timberline, you know, that's nice. And so I, uh, they waved at me, and I wandered home and said, hi guys, how you doing? And they said, fine, how are you? And I started blethering on like I do about something meaningless and going on about jet lag and chicken and I don't know. And you, you know when you're in a situation where you suddenly sense discomfort around the table and there's, you know, there's a, how can I put this, I hope without offending you, there's like a collective clenching of buttocks. <laughs> Do you know, you know, everyone's like, like that. some of you are trying it right now, <laughs> it's like you're living in the moment, well done. Can't believe I just said that. Anyway, um, I could sense there's something wrong, so I said... Um, after about two or three minutes, I, I said, uh, you don't know me, do you? And one of the brave souls around the table said, never seen you before in our lives. <laughs> I said, but you waved me over. They said, no, it was the guy behind you. <laughs> and I had that feeling again that I get when I received the bionic Christmas newsletter. Like, do I really fit? And has there been a mistake in me being a leader for these last 42 years? The late, great Mike Iaconelli in his brilliant book, Messy Spirituality, describes one of his fears that maybe one day he'd see Jesus and Jesus would throw open his arms and he would run up to Jesus for a hug you know, in his entrance into heaven and Jesus, as Mike ran towards him, would go, no, no, mate, no, it's the book behind you. And I think, and I paint these word pictures, I, I think that sometimes we as leaders can feel like that. Like if anyone really found out what we really like, because we're ordinary, I, I don't know about you, but I didn't wake up this morning, do a triple backflip out of bed, catching my tambourine as I flew through the air. I landed in my socks and the angel Gabriel handed me a cup of tea. And I've been in leadership for 42 years. I became a Christian back in the 70s. Anyone old enough to remember the 70s? When a fashion demon roamed the earth. Great music, hideous fashions, flares, remember flares, and, and lapels so wide that if you got caught by the wind, you'd end up in Botswana, and it was hideous. And, and I became a Christian at the age of 17, and I became a church planter at the age of 21. 21? And I'm going out with this girl called Kay, she's 17, and we start this church, and I'm 22, and she's 18, getting the maths are correct, and... And we get married and we're planting this church and it's been amazing. But over the years, there's just been this lingering feeling of not quite fitting. And as I look back on that, I suppose really there are some things I wish I'd known back then. And what I want to do today is not preach, but just tell you some of those things. Now, I could tell you how many I'm going to tell you, but that would discourage you. 
And not only that, but I've got my eye on the clock and you are going to be out of here on time. I so appreciate you taking time in your busy lives. So I'll tailor this as we go. But things I wish I'd known. The first thing I wish I'd known is that God called me to be me and you to be you. I struggled with that in the early years, particularly when I started using humor. I don't tell jokes. I don't like jokes because a joke has a punchline, and a punchline is a high investment. And if the punchline therefore dies, you haven't built a bridge, you've built a wall. So I don't like telling jokes. But I put, I'm weird. I put things in a particular way. Normally people laugh, and sometimes they don't. Occasionally I go to churches where laughter is not allowed. <laughs> you ever met Christians like that? gloriously saved and utterly constipated and it's sort of and it's like um, by the way can I just ask you to pray I'm feeling so relaxed here <laughs> that it is dangerous it is it is really dangerous so is this being recorded Leon it is okay well have a good day everybody God bless you see ya um, yeah, I, uh, what was I saying? That's what he did. And he also called me to remember the point that I'd just made. God called me, thanks Stuart, God called me to be me. I go to those churches where um, sometimes you're not allowed to laugh. It's like a sort of gathering of the frozen chosen. You know what I mean? It's sort of, I went to one and a guy came up to me and he said, we don't have fun here. We have joy. <laughs> I took one look at him. I thought, you haven't got either one, pal, frankly. And, and the joy was so... You remember that song? I got that joy, 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 joy. Where? Where? Some people, they're so deep, 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 deep down in your heart. You don't have a nuclear explosion to get it out, you know. And I struggle with humor because here's what happens. If you, two things happen. First of all, if you make people laugh, some Christians think you're lightweight. Oh yeah, yeah he make, just makes us laugh. And then here's another thing I've discovered, that if you teach well, you are more likely to, to be dubbed as superficial because you help people to understand the complex. And some Christians are addicted to the deep, by which they mean incomprehensible. I remember being in a meeting once, and my friend Gordon Neal, we were sitting there together, and, um, and this bloke got up and spoke about something and it rattled on for 40 minutes and we had no clue, no clue. I mean, angels were sleeping, you know, it was like... And on the way out, I turned to Gordon and I said, what was all that about? And he said, I don't know. He said, but I think it was quite deep. <laughs> deep doesn't mean confusing. And he was making that point. But you see, I didn't want to be funny, and I resisted that. I wanted to be Martin Lloyd-Jones, but, but not dead. <laughs> and about 10 years or so, maybe 15 years into my ministry, I went to God and I complained about that. And I said to the Lord, have you called me to be a fool for Christ? And God spoke to me and said, yes. And I said, is there anybody else up there? And I didn't want that. So I went off to this conference and uh, Gerald Coates was speaking. And he came up to me and he said, I've got a prophetic word for you that I'm going to share tonight publicly. And I thought, great, I hope it's a cracker. You know what I mean? And I hope I can understand it. You ever been around those prophetic people? You don't know what they're blethering on about. You know, they've got a picture of a yellow jellyfish who's tap dancing on a tin of ambrosia cream rice, whistling, I'm a Yankee doodle dandy. And they share it with you. And then they look, they look at you and they go, does that mean anything to you? <laughs> you think, yeah, call the NHS helpline. You know, this is <laughs> tragic. But um, he said, I've got, the, I've got this word for you. Now, God has told me, and I've not shared it with anybody. God has told me he's called me to be a fool. So I get up on the platform. Noel Richards um, is playing, you know. And, and uh, there's a thousand leaders there and Gerald calls me up and, I, and I'm standing on the platform and he pulled out a jester's hat, multicolored, complete with bells. 
and he stuck it on my head. And I'm standing there, bands playing. And of course, Christians are polite, you know, they don't try and be rude. But after, they, they try to restrain, restrain themselves. But after about 30 seconds, a thousand people are laughing at me. With standing with a stupid hat. And, and I'm looking at Gerald, and I've got a thousand people looking at me. So I've got to pretend that I'm liking this and that this is a really big God moment. Awesome. But inside, I'm thinking, I've never liked you. Nasty little man, silly hats. And he let them laugh. And he let me feel the pain. And then he started to prophesy. And he said, you have been willing to be a fool for Christ. And because you've been willing, God is now going to trust you with this and this and this and this. And that day, ladies and gentlemen, I discovered that while I have the greatest respect for the great Christian leaders around the world, I'm not called to be them. I'm called to be me. And I don't mean that in a sort of, and I'm not going to change kind of view. Do you remember, anyone remember Popeye the Sailor Man? Anyone old, old enough? You remember? Never understood Popeye because he really fancied that olive oil. What was that about? What was that about? But Popeye the Sailor Man, who had muscles in places where I don't have places, he used to sing this song He'd say, I'm Popeye the sailor man. And he'd say, I am what I am. And that's all I am. I'm Popeye the sailor man. I am not saying it in that sense. Well, this is who I am and I'm not going to change. Because anyone who says that is basically defying the fundamental principle of the gospel, which is about salvation and transformation. But I am called to be me. To be me. And I'm an East End of London boy from Ilford, Barking. And I've been, I've been at large conferences where everybody, everybody's called Tristan. <laughs> <laughs> and they all, they all talk a bit like that. Really super, lovely. And I find myself talking a bit like that. Really <laughs> lovely. Super. You're called to be you. So be the best version of you that you can be. Secondly, know that you can't do everything. You can't do everything. It was Disney. Well, Walt Disney's attributed, uh, they say that he said it, but it was actually one of his employees said, uh, he said, if you can dream it, you can do it. That's a ridiculous statement. It's a ridiculous statement. It was Napoleon Hill, a depression-era self-help guru, who said, um, whatever the mind of man can conceive and believe, it can achieve. Sounds great. It's just tosh. <laughs> high school graduates, I live in America. Maybe it's happening here too. High school graduates across America will graduate this year once again with the message ringing in their ears that you can do anything if you just believe. It's tosh. And you say, I, I can hear someone saying, but hold on a minute, pal. The Bible says I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can do anything. No, you can't. Bluntly, I can't fly without tickets, give birth to twins, play the bassoon, or speak Cantonese. I can't just do anything by throwing a Bible verse. First of all, look at the verse. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And Christ will only strengthen me for that which he's called me to do. Not only that, look at the context, because Paul is writing that from house arrest and possibly a stinking prison cell. So this is not impossibility thinking. He's lost his freedom, and he's writing, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I mentioned Peter. Peter says, when he sees Jesus on the water, Lord, if it's you, tell me to come to you. Which proves that God is open to suggestions, which is what prayer is about. And Jesus says, come on then. And he does that. But the other guys don't. They don't. One of the greatest things that we should understand in leadership is not just that we should be who we are, but we should know our spheres. We should know the difference between a sphere and a comfort zone. A comfort zone 
is that which we live in when God is genuinely calling us to step out and we refuse. Jesus tried to nudge his disciples out of their comfort zone at the feeding of the 5,000 when he said to them, you give them something to eat, wanting them to translate the miracle that they had previously seen into an action that they could participate in. That's stepping out of a comfort zone. But when Peter said to Jesus, I don't want you to go to Jerusalem, this shall never happen to you, Jesus says, get behind me, Satan, because now you see Peter is not stepping out of his comfort zone. He's stepping out of his sphere. One of the greatest things we can do is learn what we can't do. In literature, Macbeth was a successful military commander, but an incompetent king. Socrates, incomparable teacher, but he became a defense attorney and he was incompetent. He didn't know his sphere. I used to lead worship. <laughs> I led worship at the Elam Conference with Jack Hayford there. Some of you don't know who Jack Hayford is. Jack Hayford wrote the song Majesty. And I led the Elam Conference in the singing of that song. And I think toes were curling all over the place. And I think Jack, if there'd have been cell phones at the time, he would have been chatting with the Samaritans. Because it was hideous. And one day, a trusted friend came to me and said, you know what, Jeff, if you would hang up your guitar for eternity, the body of Christ would sigh a collective sigh of relief. <laughs> now, I don't recommend that as a piece of communication. But I did. And I'm glad. And so should you be. <laughs> know what you can't do. The third thing I wish I'd known is that if you're going to be a leader, make friends with agitation. Make friends with agitation because it's going to be with you for the rest of your life. Because a leader, she or he, they are always called to ask the question, why? When you look at history, and it was great as you came in here today... Leon and the, and the team had creatively, we had Mother Teresa. I walked in actually and, and I, I could hear, I, I said, to, who's shouting in the kitchen? Who's that yelling in the kitchen? And Leon says, Martin Luther King. I thought, that's good that they booked him. You know, that, that's really well. And, um, and uh, I have a dream. These great reformers, whether it is uh, uh, Martin Luther of the Reformation, Martin Luther King, William Wilberforce, where would we be today if they had not embraced the gift of agitation and sleepless nights? And they turned that gift of agitation into action. I want to be ever so honest with you. Sometimes I don't want the gift. You know, purpose-driven life. Sometimes I think, I don't want purpose. I don't want driven. Just want a life. I don't want to worry about human trafficking and reaching the bloke next door and what God is doing in Westminster or not, as the case may be. I don't want to care. But you see, you're a leader. So you've been baptized in agitation. So make friends with it. Because it's always going to be there. When, when the Jews celebrate the Passover, the first Passover cup, they pray a prayer that they will not become complacent in oppression. They actually raise a toast to agitation. And I think we need to make friends with that and, and with the struggle. I think we need to make friends with the fact that sometimes we get doubts. Is it, is it okay to say that? It's a bit boring, isn't it? I remember one year I was speaking at a conference. I'll, I won't name it, but it happens in the spring. <laughs> when they bring the harvest in. And I was... Um, I'm speaking, and it's the big top, and there's 5,000 people there, and I've been in Butlins for three weeks, and, 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 I, 
And I'm just about to get up to speak, and I suddenly thought, I hope there's a God. Because <laughs> you see, we're not totally sure, are we? You say, how can you say that? Well, you see, I can say that because there's something called faith. And if we were totally empirically sure, no faith would be required. But it is a bit boring, you know, when you're about to... Sp- I was just about to speak in the big top and I'm thinking, what if this is all a load of tosh? I've just spent three weeks in a chalet. <laughs> and I think if we were a bit more honest about these things, because here's what I find out. I find out if I talk about doubt, everyone starts to relax a bit. And they go, oh. Oh, it's not just me then. Because... I told you I was feeling relaxed. In Christian circles, doubt's a bit like herpes. You just don't tell your friends. (laughs) That's going to be on a TV screen. (laughs) Okay, let's move on. Number four. I wish I'd known that my feelings are not the barometer of my spirituality. I wish I'd known that my feelings are not the barometer of my spirituality. Forgive me if you've ever heard me through the years. I've laughed about this, but I I became a Christian. um, This is an Elim church. I became a Christian in the Elim church in Barking. I I am grateful, and I'm not just saying this, I am grateful, so grateful for those foundational years in that lovely little church. Brian Richardson was my pastor. He loved and cared, he and Pam. I'm so grateful. Um, uh, but those, that, that was back in the days when th- there weren't too many good songs to sing. To get my, do you remember the Yellow Chorus book? I think we called it the Yellow Peril. And we sang songs like, I am H-A-P-P-Y. Do you remember that? I am H-A-P-P-Y. I am H-A-P-P-Y. I know I am. I'm sure I am. (laughs) I am H-A-P-P-Y. Another great theological classic, Graham Kendrick, Eat Your Heart Out, went like this. It isn't any trouble just to S-M-I-L-E. No, it isn't any trouble just to S-M-I-L-E. If you pack up all your troubles, then they'll vanish like a bubble if you only take the trouble just to (laughs) S-M-I-L-E. It's enough to make you a V-O-M-I-T, isn't it? <laughs> and I felt this incredible pressure, and I still feel it today occasionally, to be happy all the time. Where's your joy? I don't know. Somewhere. But my feelings are not the barometer of my spirituality. I spent a year in clinical depression. I was a Christian leader. I'm trekking around the world <laughs> telling people how to live. And I was depressed. And I, I wish I could say that the stigma has gone, but it's still in some circles. It hasn't. You're not allowed to be sad in some Christian circles. And not only did I feel bad, but I felt bad because I felt bad. Extra bonus for Christians. And I had some friends who came to try and help me out. I think they'd previously been employed by Job. (laughs) And they said, so, you haven't got the victory then? I said, well, apparently not. They said, what can we do to sort you out? Because Christians like to sort everyone out. And I felt like saying, how about going away forever? That would be a cracking start. And then I started, I came through that, I took medication. If, you, if your doctor says you need medication, take it. You say, isn't that a lack of faith? Well, if you break your arm, you put it in a sling, don't you? See, so we put additional pressures on people. It's unfair. Some years ago, I started traveling with Adrian Plass. He's become a dear friend. I love Adrian. And he made this statement to me, your feelings are not the barometer of your spirituality. I wish I'd known that. Number five, 
Number five, I wish I'd known that kindness and listening opens doors and hearts. Kindness. Kindness. Yesterday, on Radio 4, I was driving here. Karen and I drove here yesterday from the south of England, which means we navigated the M25, a bastion of evil. I don't know about you, I've become an atheist in traffic jams. It's... And um, I was listening to Radio 4, because I'm like that, and they had um, a program on about MPs who were afraid to go home this weekend because of threats of violence. And then there was a program that immediately followed it about anger in politics. And they were talking about how we become angry. Social media has allowed us to become... We, we, can, we can slap someone and then run and call it Facebook. And then they had this philosopher on there. And, and, and she's talking, I don't know what her background is. And she's talking very intelligently about the problem. And then they said, right at the end of the program, this is BBC Radio 4 yesterday, they said, what's the, what's the solution? What's the solution to all of this? And the philosopher said, well, I think it's faith, hope, and love. I'm like, She's got a 1 Corinthians 13 fridge magnet. <laughs> Kindness is an understated leadership quality. Years ago, I traveled with Graham Seed. Anyone heard of Graham Seed? Graham, Graham Seed is like six foot eight. Used to be a, a Middlesbrough football thug, a man of violence, professional debt collector, knock on your door, hurt you if you've not paid the boys the money. Lived on a park bench for three years. Some YWAM guys came by and told him about Jesus, and he told them to go away. Sort of. He was taken into the hospital. They couldn't do anything for him. They were going to switch the machine off. They called for his mother to come in to sign the papers to turn the machine off. And some YWAM lads showed up and said, the same guys, said, could we pray before you switch the machine off? And they said, yeah, go ahead. They prayed. He woke up. And three weeks later, he became a Christian. A bit rude to wait three weeks. <laughs> Just saying. And he's now one of the most beautiful, beautiful men. Get in a taxi with him. And I won't try and do his accent. He's from up north. And, but he's like, says to the taxi driver, excuse me, mate, can I just tell you that about the Jesus who's changed my life? I travelled on a train with him, and you know what it's like on a train in Britain? No one talks. No one. And he's talking really loud. Lady opposite's a bit upset, and he's telling all about Jesus. And well, we're travelling together and, and doing this book tour, and we're staying in this city in England. I won't, I won't name it in case you've got friends in Manchester. And we're staying... <laughs> in this really horrible hotel. It's like the Hotel California. You can check in any time you want, but you can never leave. Some of you are going, is that in the Bible? <laughs> no, it's the Eagles. And um, I knew we were in trouble when we checked in because the bloke behind the counter said, do you want an upgrade for 10 quid? <laughs> I said, what do we get for 10 quid? He said, a window. It was horrible, horrible. And we come out of the hotel and we park, and we got a parking ticket. So we're having one of those days, you know, one of those days. And we go to a pizza place and we order some pizza. We're a bit fed up and we didn't do anything Christian. We didn't, we didn't sing a hymn or pray over the pizza or anything like that. And we, you know, we weren't wearing any lapel badges, you know, hello, you're going to hell, nothing like that. And... We just had pizza and we were feeling a bit miserable. And at the end of the meal, the, the lovely server came up to us, the lady, and she said, what are you doing now then, boys? Are you going to go shopping or something? And I said, no, we've got an event in town tonight. And she said, is it about God? And I'm like, how do you know? I mean, I checked my lapel. <laughs> I checked my footwear. It's winter, so I'm not even wearing my sandals. There is no way... She could have known. I said, yeah, it is about God. How do you know? 
She said, oh, she said, we get a lot of horrible people in here. And you guys were nice to me. So I thought, probably got something to do with God. <laughs> Kindness. Why is it, and forgive me for what I'm about to say. Why is it that last night, talking with Leon and Alison, and experiencing their graciousness and kindness and warmth. Why is it that when we're chatting together, that I remember, even though he's been with Jesus now for 10 years, why is it that I can see dear Bob in my mind instantly and in connecting again with Patricia today? Why is it that their faces, in all of the millions of miles that we've travelled, are imprinted in my consciousness. She reminded me that the last time I went to their house, which was 20 years ago, I was sitting there on, on the sofa and fell asleep. <laughs> which is a bit rude of me. Why is it that I remember that? You see, it's kindness. Kindness makes an impact that nothing else can make. How can we be kind? One way you can be kind is by listening. You know what? We leaders talk too much. And sometimes when we're talking, we're actually only silent to allow the other person opportunity to give us pause for breath before we get into the next thing that we say. But when you give a person the grace of being heard, you give them a great gift. Paul Tournier, the psychologist said, listen to the conversations of our world between nations as well as between couples. They are, for the most part, dialogues of the deaf. Listen. I'm going to cut a couple of things out here. Number six. I wish I'd known that we're all unbalanced. Turn to the person next to you and say, I knew it. You're unbalanced. <laughs> You see, some of you really enjoyed that. That was weird. Um, some of us, we think inherently that we're right. It's everybody else that's got the problem, particularly as leaders. We, we are assured of our rightness, but we're all pendulums. A pendulum is always in reaction to something and that's where we are. So I've discovered this in my own life. I've been a pendulum about evangelism. Because when I first became a Christian, I was in your face. You don't want to sit next to me on a bus or a plane because I'd, I'd be at you. I'd turn every conversation around to Jesus. Hello, Jeff, would you like a cheese sandwich? No, thank you. I have the bread of life. How about you? <laughs> did you know what I did? I did a pendulum swing away from that and went quiet. And I thought I was quoting St. Francis of Assisi. By all means, preach the gospel. If necessary, use words. Well, first of all, he didn't say that. And secondly, not only was St. Francis of Assisi famous for chatting with squirrels, but he also gave everything he had away, which is quite a sign and a wonder. You see, what I did is I did a swing away and it all became, let's just serve our community. So, and, and I'm not suggesting that everything we do out there needs an explanation every time. But have we lost our voice? Pendulum swings. What have we reacted against? Number eight, maybe number seven. I wish I'd known that the gift of disillusionment is priceless. I think I'll share this and then we'll, we'll wrap this up because I want to have some time for prayer. I wish I'd known that the gift of disillusionment is priceless. You see, for the last 42 years, I've been fighting cynicism. As a leader, you know what that looks like, don't you? Um, yeah, right. Yeah. And cynicism can be a cancerous thing that can eat our souls. But there is something beautiful about disillusionment. Think about it. When you're disillusioned, you are divested of an illusion. 
and you then commit to the reality. Now, I think if we are born into a healthy family, we are all born with an illusion, and the illusion is this. You're the center of the universe. The illusion is, is nurtured by a number of things. First of all, when you're a tiny baby, are you hungry? That's all right. Just scream. Someone will come running. When you're a tiny baby, do you need to poo? Some of you are going, did, did he just use the word poo? <laughs> then did I hear poo? Yes, you leaders may like to know it. Poo is from the Greek word poopo usin. <laughs> Some of you are writing that down. I'm messing with you. <laughs> Some of you are going, can't wait to share that with my small group. <laughs> when you're a baby, if you need to poo, well, poo. You try that when you're 25, darling. You've been divested of an illusion, and we are constantly surrounded by illusions. Hollywood creates illusions in romantic comedies. Why is it that that beautiful couple in that romantic comedy, no one ever drools on the pillow, do they? Never. No one ever snores like a foghorn in the English Channel. And the beautiful couple, they wake up in the morning looking glorious. And the first thing they do is they share a long, lingering kiss. Yuck! There's none of that morning breath that would knock you off your feet at 50 yards. It's all an illusion. Now you see, when I got into ministry in 1841... I thought the church was full of beautiful, perfect, almost there people. Everything is broken. Dare I say it, this, this church, I don't know, there are some from other churches. This church is a great church, but it's broken because it's not perfect. Every marriage has got hairline cracks. Every relationship, every friendship, everything this side of the fullness of the coming of the kingdom, it's all broken. So we would do well not to surrender to a resigned shrug of the shoulders, but rather to commit to the reality. To say, yeah, I know it's all broken, but I will allow disillusionment to nudge me into authentic commitment rather than an illusion that will soon quickly fade well I said I'll probably make this the last thing I, I did that to cheer you up <laughs> we leaders Leon, we, we often do that while preaching don't we we say and now in conclusion we do that to give God's people hope frankly <laughs> that's the idea but really uh, this is all I think I need to say because there's something else I'd like to do. Can I ask you to stand with me if you're able, please? I'd like Dan and the team to come back. Before we, um, before we uh, get into this, can you just look my way for a moment? Thank you for allowing me <laughs> to just say it today I know, I know the conversation in the car in a few minutes from now with my wife I, I'm, I'm going to say did I really say that and, and she will say yes you did but it's in an atmosphere of um, feeling like you're among friends to be able to just say it because see look at you Look at you. We're in the same club. We're broken. But we're in process. And while we're in the process, we are gloriously loved. And I look back, I suppose the coverall statement is, I wish I'd known back then 
that he would be unbelievably patient and kind. And when he picked me, when he picked you, and I'm the kid who during the sports session at school, do you remember those horrifying days? We'll take him, we'll take him, we'll take him, we'll take him, we'll take him. And you're standing there like the last turkey in the shop offering yourself to martyrdom if someone would just pick you and in the end they'd say or I would take Lucas I remember that feeling and somehow in the glorious grace of God God said yeah we'll take him and he's fragile and messed up and broken and God said that of you, ladies, gentlemen. None of us here by accident. So here's what we're going to do. And this is the bit where we can all get a bit nervous because the musicians are playing that music. You know that music. And please don't think I'm dishonouring them because they are, by the way, did a fantastic job for us earlier and are doing exactly what I asked them to do right now. But, but when we hear that music, we can get into a bit of a Pavlovian response like, oh no, now what's coming? Are we, are we going to have to go forward or be prayed for or fall over or nothing happens, do a courtesy drop? Listen up. Maybe right now, it's a bit of a heavy time for you. No one else needs to define what that means except you. It's been heavy. Maybe there's some challenges in your leadership context. Maybe there are some health challenges. It's a heavy time for you. So here's what I'm going to ask you to do in a moment. I'm going to ask you to do respond to this for a moment of prayer is to do nothing but just sit down that's all because we Christians can get overwhelmed by all of the oughts and shoulds and musts and coulds oh, now what not another thing and that's good to be challenged but some of us today need to just take the weight off our feet and not go into furrowed brow, eyes down bingo position. But just sit down. So if that's you and no one's checking, just do it. Just sit down if it's been a heavy time and you want to be included in a prayer, just do it. ask those of you standing to pray for those sitting but you're slightly outnumbered so that little ploy is not going to work but if you are standing and you are near people who are seated which means everybody just help me out just go and put some hands on some shoulders just do that just do that and if no one comes to put their hand on your shoulder don't be offended there's just not enough hands it's as simple as that opportunity today even as leaders to have a moment for us and 
for those, Lord, who just take the weight off their feet, even as they have just put their trust in a chair to take their weight, may they know a sense of your help, your peace, your grace. Those, Lord, who have been overwhelmed by the gift of agitation, help them to make friends with the joys and the frustrations at times of leadership. Those, perhaps, who have been disillusioned, but it's turned into cynicism, birth fresh hope. Any here, Lord, who walk the familiar pathway, at least to me, of depression and the sense that nobody can really understand how we feel because nobody can really understand how we feel except you, Jesus. Would you be the glory and the lifter up of their heads? Finally, Lord, for any who battle health challenges today, you've told us to ask, and so we ask. We ask for interventions. We ask for healing. And in asking, we promise you that if there's something that you do that surprises us, we will only give you the credit. Before I wrap this up, with their eyes closed still, I ask my friends for silence now in this moment. Because when the music fades, I'm so grateful to him for the beautiful gift of music again that we've experienced this morning. But when the music does fade, He is still there. And so in the silence, Lord, and in the waiting, renew the strength of your people. Amen. Have a seat, everybody.